Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning, once again. Good morning, fellow inmates. Have you had it? Have you had it with being confined and constrained? Have you had it with being cooped up and closed in? Well, I know that I might be exaggerating a little bit by comparing our life experiences right now with that of incarceration, but I think all of us can relate a little bit with some of our freedoms being curtailed. How can we be free when we're so confined and constrained? How can we be free when we're so cooped up and closed in? Not only are we dealing with our everyday lives and routines being abruptly altered, there is a very real contagion that's brought pain to many people and many who are close to us and in our circles. Situations like this naturally precipitate questions. We question the decisions of our local leaders. We question the decisions of our state and our national leaders. And we might even question God. There are circumstances in life that can bring the most stalwart and steadfast of Christian to begin to question their faith. They may even begin to wonder, am I truly a Christian with all these questions that have come to the surface? Here in a time of crisis, instead of assurance, there's insecurity. And instead of verbalizing and asking those questions, some Christians tend to close up and clam up. And why is that? Well, it's, it's a fear. It's a fear of being thought as a doubter. And then what happens? That fear begets more fear. Or they might be ashamed. Ashamed that they could even be questioning God. But questions unasked, don't go away. And if they're just ignored, they're going to stay there unanswered. And then what happens? They'll begin to fester. And if that happens, it can adversely affect our faith. Can a person be a Christian if they're questioning God? Well, the answer is yes. If we're going to follow Christ, do all of our questions need to be resolved and answered before we can truly follow him? No. No. Questions do need to be resolved. That's true. There there are questions that need to be resolved and answered, but they're not all going to be answered at once. And some questions, we might not even know that they're inside of us until we're being tried in a difficult situation. Now, it's okay to have questions. Some people might say that we should never, ever question our faith. But we can question. Paul, the New Testament apostle, he brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Greek city of Berea. Berea had a large population of Jews, and some had converted to Christ. Yet they questioned what they were taught, and they sought answers from the scriptures. They were not condemned for their questions. Rather, Acts chapter 17 commends the Bereans. Now you might say, 
Well, those Berean Jews, they weren't suffering. They weren't in any real crisis. They were new believers, and they were digging deeper. Well, that's true. So, are there any other examples that might parallel better with what we're experiencing? Well, there is one that comes to my mind, and it's a crisis that might actually make ours seem much, much more bearable. And most biblical crises do that. Some of them are really difficult. Now, the crisis that I allude to is that of John the Baptist. John was a cousin of Jesus. He was the prophet who announced the launch of Jesus' ministry. John was the herald. Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is what John cried. John had his own followers, but he pointed his followers to Jesus. He said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And he said things like this, I'm not even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. He saw Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, but he also saw Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior who would bring judgment and justice. John said, I baptize with water, but Jesus, he's going to baptize with fire. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So more of Jesus and less of John. That was John's attitude. It would seem you couldn't find anyone more sold out on Jesus than John. Yet a time came in John's life that pressed him and it hemmed him in and questions. Questions began to rise. Questions about Jesus started to surface. Let's take a look at this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. There are a couple of viewpoints on this passage. One is that John told his disciples to question Jesus because it was they who needed reassurance. Another point of view is that John needed the reassurance. And that conclusion is arrived at because Jesus didn't answer John's disciples. He said, go back to John. You go back to John and tell him. Now, that's the, the interpretation I'm taking this morning, that it was John who had the questions. It was John who was really questioning. He had gone in a moment from free man to prisoner. Remember that. One minute, walking around, minding his own business in a sense, and then he's arrested and he's thrown in prison. And it was there in prison that John's questions about Jesus rise to the surface. John's life leading to that moment he was arrested 
It was one of confidence and boldness. John had emerged in Palestine as a powerful prophet. He was the one who called the nation to get ready with true repentance because Messiah was coming. John was the one who confirmed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He pointed his own followers to Jesus. He was willing to take the back seat as all the national attention began to focus on Jesus. And John was not afraid to take on the powerful people of the day. He pointed to the, origi- the, the religious elite, the Pharisees, and he said, You brood of vipers! Who warned you about the wrath to come? And John also called out the governor of Galilee, Herod Antipas. He called out his unlawful marriage. And Herod responded by arresting John. And John found himself in Herod's dungeon. Now that would be enough to discourage even a strong man. John was facing death. And it seems uncertainty began to creep over him. Can you picture there John in a cold, damp cell? And he begins to question, why did this happen? Why is the power of darkness still reigning when the king of light is already here? John had honest questions. He had sincere questions. Was God's kingdom here or not? Was God's king here or not? John didn't understand. How could the same man who baptized Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, He must become more and more, and I must become less and less. How could this man, who was so confident and bold, say to Jesus, Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? What happened? Could it have been that the description of Jesus' ministry that John had heard didn't fit with how John had pictured Jesus' ministry? John heard about a Jesus who was full of grace and mercy. Yet John had proclaimed him as the one more powerful than he. The one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The one who was coming with wrath. Perhaps Jesus' gracious ministry didn't fit with all of John's expectations. Where was the fire? Where was the wrath? So John began to question. Jesus answered. He could have answered with an emphatic, Yes, tell John I'm the one. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus answered by describing his own ministry with familiar words of prophecy. In the scripture I read from Matthew chapter 11, Jesus echoed the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. His words sound very much like Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. And no doubt, John knew the Old Testament. He was well acquainted with the prophets. The words of Jesus must have taken John to Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, they say this, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, 
Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus was echoing these words. These words of love and grace and compassion. John surely knew this passage from the prophet. And I'm guessing he was reminded of verse 4. The line that immediately preceded this message of grace and mercy and hope. And it reads this way. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Yes, there's the wrath of God John was expecting. Vengeance, the divine retribution of God, salvation from the enemy, wrath, a baptism of fire. That's where John's head seemed to be at. And Jesus gave him a subtle reminder. John, vengeance is God's, but so also is grace. And it flowed in the same prophetic passage. What a reminder to John. Jesus seemed well aware of how his coming was different than people's expectations. He said to John, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. By saying this, Jesus gently alerted John to the full scope of the Messiah's role. Now, John, don't fall away. Don't fall away because I'm doing something that does not meet your expectations. Look around you, John, Jesus said. He said, report to John what you see and hear. In essence, saying to John, you might have been looking for judgment and justice, divine retribution, vengeance, but see the grace, see the mercy, see the compassion. Listen to those extolling what God is doing. Well, John, all cooped up in a dungeon, feeling so confined and constrained, he needed to be reminded that the mission of Jesus was not one-dimensional. It wasn't all about John's expectations. It was much, much more. Sure, John was confused, and he was questioning, maybe even doubting, and that must have felt like a heavy burden Jesus lifted that burden. He set John free from a heavy load. Of course, Jesus is saying, I'm the one. What have you seen of me? What have you heard of me? Jesus didn't rebuke John. The question John brought was with sincerity. He wasn't leveling an accusation against Jesus. John was seeking, not rebelling. He had believed in Jesus. He hadn't totally folded. He hadn't turned his back on Jesus and become an unbeliever. He sent his question to Jesus. He was seeking answers. There are answers for the person who is seeking and willing to believe. Jesus didn't rebuke or debate the questioning seeker. He gave a kind response. Tell John what you have seen and heard about me. Knowing that John would be reminded that the Savior's mission is much more than the expectation of vengeance. It's a mission that includes grace and mercy. 
And that continues even while you're shut in. So what can we learn from that? What can we learn from John's shut-in experience? It's okay to question when we're seeking answers from Jesus. We can seek and continue to seek. Does God tremble at our questions? No, he can handle them. Will our Christianity crumble into pieces because we have questions? No, absolutely not. A sincere question does not disqualify our faith when we are seeking Jesus. We need not be afraid of the tough questions, nor should we shrink from going to the source for answers. But we should be ready to set aside our expectations, our preconceived notions. Our expectations and preconceived notions put Jesus in a box. It constrains him to behave and to carry out his mission according to our expectations. But Jesus is God, and he's not constrained at all by us. You might say, my life is a mess. How could this be? Why is this happening? Shouldn't Jesus be saving me from this problem? For the answer, for the answer, what do you see and hear about Jesus? I am reminded now more than ever what Jesus is doing in the lives of all of you, in your pain, in your struggle, in your suffering. So many of you have been telling about the goodness of God. That's right. You're extolling the goodness of God through this time of pain and suffering. What's happening? Well, needs are being met. I've heard about them. Doors are being opened. Ways are being made. And all the credit going to Jesus. Now, if you're in the place where you're not seeing it and you're not hearing it, keep asking your earnest questions. That's okay. But ask those questions from a heart that is earnestly seeking. Just like John, he was seeking from Jesus. Then look around and listen and see that Jesus' mission of grace and mercy and compassion, his mission of salvation from sin and the granting of eternal life, that mission has not ended. It's not over. Expect no one else but Jesus. His mission is ongoing and it continues. And he will answer your questions. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the divine one who comes with mercy and compassion. And yes, he is a just judge. He's all of it, God. Help us to see that if there's any who are struggling in this time, wondering and asking if their faith is being pressed, if they feel hemmed in and confined, God, I just pray that you would meet that person, speak to their heart, open their eyes, open the eyes of their heart and the ears of their heart to see and hear all that you are doing through your, your son, Jesus Christ, God, and set them free from that anxiety. Lord, lift that burden off of them. God, I ask that for everyone 
within my listening voice. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. And I put it all into your hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.